0: If you need a Bible, steward's up. He's got Bibles in his hand. Just raise your hand and he'll bring him right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Luke chapter 2. Favorite passage this time of year? (laughs) Starting in verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary his betrothed wife, who was with the child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 puts it this way, The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region in shadow of death, light has dawned title of my message this morning is Jesus, dot, 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 the light of the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together, to be in this place where we can celebrate the birth of your son, Jesus Christ, but also to remember and rejoice as well, Lord. We thank you for this time together. We pray, Lord, that we have open ears to receive all that you have for us this morning. We pray, Lord, if there's anyone that has joined us that is yet to give their lives to you, to surrender their hearts to you, that they would do so this morning. So we thank you for this time. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, I was doing some research to find out just, you know, how many lights there are down at the old time Christmas in Silver Dollar City in Branson. Can anybody guess how many lights that they use? There's a picture of it up there on the screen. million lights they use. 6.5. And how long does it take to get into Silver Dollar City on Thursday when it's warm out to see these lights? 6.5 million light years. (laughs) Same number. I'm amazed. Same number. Actually, we got off the 65, got about a mile, and it was stopped. And I said, okay, we're going to Branson Landing instead. So we didn't go, but... Maybe next year, maybe this week, I don't know. But I was thinking about those lights, so I thought, okay, well, what's the, the biggest house? You know, the house that has the most lights, and, and the Richard family from Australia holds a Guinness Book of World Record for having the most Christmas lights on their home. Over half a million bulbs light up their house. 502,165 bulbs, 31 miles of wire. I mean, you can't even see their house. It said that their, their electric bill is increased by $2,500 per month while they light those lights. I mean, who can afford it? Why? I mean, it's like, I don't know. Who ever thought that from the very first Christmas lights it would evolve to something like that? You know, that putting up Christmas lights go all the way back to the 16th century. Back then, they didn't have electricity. So what they would do is they would use bonfires and they would put these bonfires on roads and in the churchyard to celebrate the birth of Christ. So it would light up the church, they would celebrate the birth of Christ. Well, about the same time, in Martin Luther's time, he was one of the first to put Christmas trees inside the house. He would take a pine tree in the house, and he would put candles on the branches of the pine trees and gather the children around the tree and point to the, to the lights on the, on the candles on the tree in the midst of the dark room. And he would say, the light on that tree is a reminder that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. So he kind of started this tradition Reminds me of the story about a little boy that forgot his lines in the, in the Christmas program, but his mother was right in the front row to prompt him and, and she gestured and formed the words silently with her lips, but it did not help. Her, her son's memory was blank. Finally, she leaned forward and whispered the cue, I am the light of the world. The child beamed and with great feeling and, and loud and a clear voice, he said, my mother is the light of the world little guy was sincere, but sincerely wrong, and Jesus has come to be the light of the world. That's what I want to focus on this morning, the most important light to look at, and that's Jesus Christ. And if you're taking notes, we're going to see three things. We're going to look at the light, we're going to look at the dark, and then we're going to look at the plan that God has for us. First of all, the light. See, some 2,000 years ago, Jesus was born to bring light into the world. Over and over again, we find in scriptures declaring that Jesus is the light of the world. Over 2,500 years ago, 500 years before Christ was born, again, Isaiah 9, 2, I read it already. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the, in the land of the shadow of death upon them have light shine, prophesying of the coming of Jesus Christ, a light to the world. Then just prior to Christ's birth, It was a dark time for the nation of Israel. They've not heard from God for some 400 years. There'd been no angels, no visitations, no miracles, no prophets, no anything, just silence from heaven. And suddenly Gabriel, Gabriel appears on the scenes to Zacharias, says, you're going to have a son, and you're going to name his name John, and he's going to be a forerunner of the Messiah for Israel. Well, Zacharias hears this and he cries out in Luke 1:78 and 79, quoting Isaiah 9, 2, he says this, Through the tender mercies of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zacharias understood Jesus was coming as the light of the world. Then you have the shepherds. They're watching the, the flocks by night when Jesus was born. We're told in verse 9 of Luke 2 that, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Now we're going to talk about that tonight, and, and their fear and, and how to fear not. But, but notice is the glory of the Lord shone around them. In other words, they were visibly blasted of the glory of the Lord. When you're in the presence of the Lord, I mean, the, the, the glory is on these, it reflects onto the angels, and they come down, and it's just the glory of the Lord was shown brightly. So, so they saw it. Then you have the three kings. Now, we say three, but we don't know how many there really were. We know they were wise men. They know they were magi coming from Persia. They traveled some 500 miles to bring the gifts to Jesus as he was a child. And they say in Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. His star, the brightness of his coming, announcing Jesus' birth. All right, and then we keep going. Then you go to the old man named Simeon who was in a temple waiting every single day for the Messiah to come. And when finally Mary brought in Jesus there into the temple, Simeon said of Jesus in Luke 2.32, He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and He is the glory of your people, Israel. Let's keep going. There's a guy named John, one of Jesus' disciples, one who wrote the fourth gospel, the book of Revelation, first, second, and third John. He said of Jesus in John 1, 4, and 5, In Him was life, and the life was the light of man, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Even Jesus himself, top off, off the, the top of the mountain here, the highest so hill, I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. Over and over and over again, Jesus has brought light to the world. Jesus coming to this world. But there's a contrast. That's point number two the darkness, the dark. You know, we, we learn from an early age to be fearful of darkness. That's why you know one of the most popular things with kids is a, is a little nightlight. You know, they may be afraid of the dark, but put that little four-watt bulb in that bedroom, and they're fine. They can sleep all night. You know, but even as we go up, there's that fear in the dark. Mind you, the story about a burglar that had been causing a particular uh, casing a particular house for some time. Finally, he saw the owners left for what appeared to be an extended time a camping trip. That night he broke into the basement window and was trying to find his way in the dark when he heard what seemed to him to be a voice of a very old woman saying, shame on you, I see you and the saint sees you. Startled, the bur- burglar snarls back, shut up, grandma, you're going to get hurt. He shines his flashlight all around, but no grandma. And the voice again, shame on you, I see you and the saint sees you. Finally, the beam of light, finally he hit a bird's cage and and a pretty upset parrot. And the bird kind of laughed, you know, and kind of went back around and starts towards the stairs, only to spot this enormous, slay- sl- slobbering Doberman pincher waiting at the top. Just at that moment, the bird screams, Sick 'em, him, saint. <laughs> You've heard that before, I know. But, uh, you know, it's that, that darkness, that, that fear that we have in the dark, there's something about that. I mean, I, I mean, if you hear a strange noise in the middle of the day in your house, you just get up and go see what it is. What is that? Is It's a pipe cracking or something like that? But if it's at 3 o'clock in the morning, man, your wife is waking. Oh, gee, what's that noise? Is it like someone breaking in the house? And it just breeds fear. That's what darkness does. Darkness breeds fear. Darkness is uncomfortable. Darkness is confusing. Darkness is terrifying. People in this world today, they're living in darkness. You see, they're confused. They're terrified. Everything is frightening. Why? Because they live in the darkness. Listen, there's two kingdoms that dwell simultaneously on this earth. The kingdom of light and love, which is the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of darkness and death, which is the kingdom of Satan. Every man, every man is one of those two kingdoms. No one is neutral. Jesus said, he who is is not for me is against me. So that if you're not in the kingdom of God, if Jesus is not your Lord and Savior and King and leader, then you're, you're in Satan's kingdom of death and darkness. And maybe you've, you've heard this before. You share that with someone and they'll say, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not, not, not in, in either one. You know, I'm, I'm not a follower of God, but I'm not, I'm not in Satan's kingdom. I'm not dominated by him. I'm a master of my own destiny. I, I chart my own course. Listen, the Bible says otherwise. According to Scripture, people who aren't walking with the Lord are actually opposing the Lord and they're hurting themselves through their lifestyles, through their attitudes, through their activities, through their habits. They're living in darkness let me tell you, Satan loves darkness. He he loves to keep people in darkness. Most crimes are committed at night. The period of history where the Word of God was taken away from the people is called what? The Dark Ages. A continent that's not been exposed to the gospel is called the Dark Continent. Hell in Matthew 8 verse 12 is called Outer Darkness. Some people think, well, hell, you know, just a bunch of guys playing poker and telling dirty jokes. Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, astrologists tell us that, that about the existence of black holes so dense that nothing escapes its gravitational pull, not even light itself. I mean, think about it. If you've ever paid that fortune to visit Fantastic Caverns, I mean, and, and you go, okay, I've got to do it, I've got to do it just once, and you go in, and the guide is taking you through the, the caverns, all of a sudden you get to the very back of the cavern there, and then they turn off the light. And you go, man, that is... Dark. If you've never done it before, do it. You should do it once. Can't afford to do it twice, but do it once. <laughs> it is so dark. I mean, you can put your hand two inches away from your face, and you can't see your hand. It's like you can feel this darkness. I mean, so it has a substance of its own—a darkness you can feel. I'm told that in the total darkness of those moments, many people begin to get a little edgy. In fact, if they can stay in that that moment, for any length of time, they could actually have panic attacks because of it. Listen, hell is going to be like that. In hell, no one's going to see a thing. They'll hear everything. They'll hear the the, the, the weeping and the gnashing of teeth, but, but, but for for a day, a month, a year, a century, a millennium, a billion millenniums, you'll see nothing at all. Because man who choose to live in darkness on earth will spend eternity surrounded by darkness in hell. But that's the whole reason that Jesus Christ came, that He was born. Acts twenty six, eighteen tells us that so that our eyes would be open and we would turn from our lives of darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God. That we might receive the forgiveness of our sins. This brings us to point number three, the plan. Listen, folks, especially at Christmas time, we have such a great privilege, great opportunity to let the light of Jesus shine in and through our lives. We get to be used by God to turn men's lives from the power of darkness and the devil to the power of the light and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how do we do that? Well, we actually do it through a principle of physics called the expulsive power of the greater force, which basically says, for example, that if you want to rid a room of darkness, you don't fight against the darkness and karate chop the darkness and yell at the darkness. you You don't do that. You don't go in and protest the darkness. You don't make signs that say, this darkness is dark and walk back and forth with your sign in the darkness. No. How do you dispel the darkness in a room? You turn the light on. And that light being the greater power dispels all the darkness that's in the room. How do we do this spiritually? By sharing Jesus Christ. See, Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness but have the light of life. Period. Shall not walk in darkness. The darkness is gone. You now have the light of life. So that when I share or you share the love of Christ with a man or woman, and they open up their hearts, then the darkness is gone. The light of Jesus Christ drives out the darkness of Satan. You know, it's kind of like this. Having the light of Jesus is like like walking through a room that you've never been in before. If you go in that room when it's dark, I mean, you're you're stumbling around. There's chairs in there, the furniture. You don't know where it's at. You can get anxious. You get uneasy. You don't know, you know, where the furniture's laid out. You're not certain. We might get get stumble over and get hurt. But if the light's on, man, you're walking in confidence and see exactly what you need to see. No longer there's obstacles, and that's what happens as you come to Christ. No longer the obstacles are there. You see Jesus Christ. You can walk clearly. Men's eyes are open and their lives are changed not by programs or protests but by the power of the risen Lord that works to change in a person's life. It's not a 12-step program. It's a one-step program. Get saved. Let the Spirit of God through the Word of God direct your life and you'll see things the way God wants you to see things. The whole reason why Jesus came that we might see our sin and turn from it and turn to Him. He came so that we might know And experience His great love and forgiveness and hope and peace and joy as realities, not just as Christmas card greetings. It's a transforming action that takes place in our lives. C.H. Spurgeon put it this way. Genuine faith in Christ turns a man from darkness to a marvelous light and transforms him into the light in the Lord. His aims and objectives, his desires his speech, his actions become full of divine light, which illuminates all the chambers of his soul and then pours forth from the windows so that it has to be seen of men. I love that. As the light comes in, it just expands outward and everyone can see it. Turn with me now in your Bibles to Luke's Gospel, chapter 11. You see, once we have the light of Christ, the Lord desires that we share that light And that we stay in that light. That we don't go back to that darkness. Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, starting in verse 33. Jesus is speaking here. He says in verse 33, No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand. And those who come in may see the light. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body also is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. I like that. I recently read about an artist who a sketch of wintry twilight the trees were laden with snow had a dreary looking house in the background looked looked you know sitting by itself lonely desolate stood standing in the midst of this field it was a, a bleak and depressing picture then the artist took some yellow chalk with just a few quick strokes put a light in one of the window another window and another one i mean the the, the, the effect was almost magical the entire scene was transformed I thought, let me, let me get a Thomas Kincaid picture up there. Let me show you something like that. Imagine that picture up there without any of the lights on in there. How cold it would look. How dreary it would look. That's a, an example of, of, of what takes place when Jesus comes in. We're, we're cold, we're dreary, but Jesus comes in and the light comes forth. It shines forth. We reflect the light of Jesus from our hearts to the lives of others. Now we do that in a couple of ways. Number one, we, we do that by sharing the light with others, by, by telling people about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the empty tomb, the light, using words telling people that Jesus loves them and died for them. But we also, the other way is by just being that light shining in a dark world, by your actions, by your attitudes, letting people see that your, your walk matches your talk, letting them see Jesus. And here's what's interesting about our light. It's reflective. We don't produce the light ourselves. It's a joke that I, I tried first service. I'll try it second service. It didn't go over so well, so I'm giving you a heads up before I say it. It's like the man who said, I bought my wife a new refrigerator for Christmas. He said, I can't wait to see her face light up when she opens it. Get it? Same reaction first service. I liked it. I told first service I wasn't going to say it second service, but I did anyway. So My point is, you know, we reflect the light of Jesus. It, it, it's much like the moon. You know, the moon doesn't have any light in it of itself. It reflects the light of the sun. There's no light in us. The light only we have it, it is a shine. That it's merely a reflection of the sun, Jesus Christ. Now, what causes the moon light to diminish? Well, it's when, you know, the earth gets in the way, the world gets in the way of, of, of the, the sun and the moon. You know, that you get a half moon or a quarter moon or a sliver of a moon. And when the world comes between the sun and the moon completely, we get a total eclipse. Well, same thing can be true in the life of a believer. What causes our light to diminish? What causes us to, to, to have blackouts? It's when the world comes between us and Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus gives the warning there in verse 34 of Luke 11. The lamp of your body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body is also full of light. But when, when your eye is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. Isn't that an interesting verse? I, I mean, you can almost translate it, take heed that you don't have your sin glasses on. In other words, you've you got these glasses on to block out the light of Jesus and you're just looking at sin, choosing to sin. So you can't have it both ways. You're either going to block out Jesus and let the darkness come in or you're going you know, to let Jesus come in and walk in the light as He's in the light. Jesus is saying your spiritual eyesight affects everything that you do. That's why in verse 36 he says, If your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. In other words, where we're at, where we set our eyes on and our, our affections, that's going to shine forth. A single ambition to know God and to know his will will give your life meaning and purpose. So I say, quit flirting with darkness and the sin that there is in this world and instead allow God's Spirit to work in your life so that you reflect His love and His grace and His mercy and His working in your life and what He's doing in your life. So the question is, what kind of light are you going to be? You know, and this happens every year. It happened this year as well. You know, every time, you know, you, you, you put up your Christmas lights, right? And some of them, they're, they're big and bright. Some of them are twinkly. And, and you know, you, you put your lights on your tree first. They all work. Then you put all the decorations on. And then what happens? That top row that's really tight, you know, wrapped around, it's out. And you go, oh, oh man, now i got I got to change all of that, you know. And, and, and never fails all the time. You know, get all, listen, don't let the light of Jesus go out in your life. You know, don't be a, a strobe light Christian. You know, on again, off again, on again, off again, on again, off again. Instead, be a floodlight, or be you know one of those lights, those grand opening lights. You know, be one of those. So, what kind of light describes you? Jesus is saying you can't be a light to the world if, if you're keeping it hidden. You can't be a light in the world if you keep turning it off when you go to work. You can't be a light into the world if you turn it off when you leave church. You can't be a light in the world if you turn it off when you go home to your family. You can't be one way at church and another way everywhere else. David prayed in Psalm eighty six, eleven, Unite my heart to fear your name. Jesus put it this way, Matthew five fourteen through 16 You are the light of the world. A city that is set on the hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all men who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. He didn't say just do it once or twice, once a year at Christmas. No, let it so shine before men all the time. How do we do that? By following Jesus' example. Turn with me now to one more place in your Bibles, to to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4. Last place we're going to look at this morning. Matthew, chapter 4. Because Jesus came as the light of the world. We're to reflect His light. So how do we do that? By following His example. See what He did when He came to this earth, when He started His ministry. What did He do? And I want to point out three things found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, starting in verse 13. We're going to see uh, the, the, the place that he started, the message he gave, and the people that he used in sharing the gospel. It, it, in the end, we're going to see it produces results. Look at, at verse 13, the place that he started, Matthew chapter 4. It says, And leaving Nazareth, he, Jesus, came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun. And the land of Nathalie, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region in shadow of death, light has dawned. Now again, we're quoting Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 here. Matthew's doing that. But, folks, this is not just a prophecy of a geographical sense being fulfilled, like Jesus being born in Bethlehem. Micah 5, 2 says that. But this is a, a prophecy being fulfilled according to principle. You see, when God visits His people for redemption, He comes where the darkness is the greatest. Let me tell you, Capernaum was one of the most despised regions of the country. It was a portion of the country that had been overrun more than any other, other by foreign invaders. It was known as the region of the shadow of death. How would you like to live there? Where do you live? Oh, I live in the region of the shadow of death. You want to come over? No, thank you. <laughs> Consequently, there are many mixed marriages there and a great deal of Gentile influence. Now, the cool Jews, they lived in Jerusalem. You know, they had it all together. They went to Jerusalem. But Jesus says, I'm going to Capernaum. I'm going to where the outcasts are. I'm going to where the people who are looked down upon. That's where I'm going to go and minister to those people. Should we be surprised or shocked that Jesus ministers to those with the greatest needs? I mean, he still loves to come to those that feel unworthy. He loves to come to those who feel you know, attacked and in the dark. This was Capernaum. This is where Jesus began his ministry. So that's where he goes first to place. Secondly, we see the message. And here's what's amazing. Jesus didn't go to Capernaum to, to teach them how to have a better social condition. He didn't go to Capernaum to show them how to vote politically. He didn't go to Capernaum to, to help defeat homelessness. He came there to bring them to God, to bring them to himself. Look at verse 17, the message. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the message. Repent. Why? Because in order to have true fellowship with God, there must be repentance. Repentance precedes fellowship. That truth stands firm today. You know, repent means to change one's mind, to stop the direction you're going, turn and go the other way. Change your thoughts, change your habits, change the things that you're doing, and live for Jesus Christ. And then look at the the people that he used. Specifically, Peter and Andrew and James and John, starting in verse 18. Now, I love these guys. Because these guys... You know, we always think that, that you know Jesus took these guys because you know, they, they were the smart ones. They really could, could grasp things. Uh, I always say, I think they took them because they were the remedial group. They needed more time to spend with Jesus. And so, But anyway, look at verse 18. It says, And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, and the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them and immediately they left their boats and their father and followed him. I love this. When Jesus was looking for his disciples, to those that would minister with him, he didn't go to the the, universities at that time to seek them out. He didn't look up the who's who in Jerusalem to pick his followers He took a bunch of guys that just liked to fish. I mean, that's what he did. Why? Because he knew that if these guys would just hang out with him, they would eventually begin to become more like him. Jesus was on a divine mission to reach men and women, Jew, Gentile alike, with the good news of the kingdom. And Jesus, our king, begins his kingdom by calling ordinary people to an extraordinary task. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men, he says. That word follow there in the Greek is akolotheo. It means to follow as a disciple committed to imitating the teacher. Jesus is saying, I will teach you the ministry. I will teach you how to share your faith. I will teach you how to bring others to Christ. And that's a, that's a good thing. God chooses, chooses his partners in ministry the same way he called you and me himself. He didn't look at you and go, oh man, you're so wise. You know, he looked at me and certainly didn't look at me. God chose the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. I love that the Bible says in John fifteen sixteen Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. That fruit involves pointing people to Jesus Christ. Sadly, most Christians aren't doing what, what God's called us to do. You see, our job is to follow Jesus' example, to reflect His light to the place, to go into the world, good and bad places, the Capernaums of our day, with the message, repent, that God can forgive sins. What happens when we can do that? The miraculous. Look at verse 23 of Matthew chapter 4 through 25. Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases among the people. His fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. I love that. We'll take, take note here of the special order of Jesus' ministry. Teaching, preaching, and then healing. Teaching is simply laying down principles and precepts. Preaching is stimulating and proclaiming. Healing is a manifestation, the outworking of the first two things. See, Jesus wanted to restore them to wholeness. And I believe the reason so many healing ministries are unbalanced and harmful is because there's not been the teaching that's been laid foundationally. If Jesus is our example, there has to be the teaching and the preaching that precedes the healing. When Jesus taught, he taught the scriptures. In fact, that word in verse 23 of teaching is a Greek word, didasco, from where we get our English word dictation from. It refers to passing on information. Expound on a thing to teach one something. In Nehemiah chapter eight, verse eight, when Ezra brought the word of God back to the people, Nehemiah eight, verse eight says, "So they read distinctly from the book and the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. They did expositional teaching. And the New Testament in the synagogues, teaching was expository. Scripture was read aloud, and then by section by section, they would expound on them, focusing on the truth. Verse twenty-three, Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in the synagogues, but also this preaching." That he says, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. That word for preaching is caruso. It means to proclaim or publicly declare something. It means to cry out. So teaching is imparting information. Preaching is on the other end. is imparting information and urging people to do something about it. Sadly, the word preach has got lots of its meaning today. And Many people who hear that immediately they put up a wall. Oh man, don't preach at me, man. Are you preaching at me? No, we've all been called to preach the good news, to cry out, impart information, urge people to do something about it with information. See, Jesus went about teaching and preaching the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. He didn't allow himself to be sidetracked by by the political myth of the day. He didn't allow himself to be sidetracked by the, the economical issues. He preached and taught the word of God. See, it's about Jesus Christ. It's about the gospel message. Jesus is teaching and preaching focused on the people repenting of their sins, preparing for the kingdom of God. Listen, when we do the same thing, miracles happen. People are healed. They're healed of the disease of sin and death, they're forgiven. See, we're to take that example of Jesus and reflecting his light to mankind. We need to, number one, go where the outcasts are. Number two, preach the message, repent. Number three, it's something we've all been called to do. And finally, the result of that, the miraculous. Look again at verse 24. We read there that his fame went all, out all of Syria and they brought to him all the sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Lives were changed radically. Why? Through the teaching and preaching of the word of God. May we take that example of our Lord. Be that light. Go into this dark world and teach and preach repentance. And as a result, we'll see God continue to do great things in the coming new year. Listen, Jesus came to this world born in a manger some 2,000 years ago to die for our sins and rise again from the dead so that we may have the light of life. That we would, would know and have fellowship with God who loves us very much. I want to share the verse one more time. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light and upon those who sat in the region in shadow of death, light has dawned. Perhaps you're here this morning and maybe you're still sitting in darkness. Maybe there's some sin in your life that is alienated you from God and you're feeling emptier and emptier as the day goes on? You know, especially this time of year. I think the reason it feels so horrible is because it's a spiritual void that you're experiencing. Perhaps you've allowed the things of the world to block Christ's love and light out of your life. You've allowed the things of the world to block out the light of, of, of Jesus Christ. Maybe that light once burned brightly in your life and now it's grown dim. And you're, you're caught up in things that you know you shouldn't be caught up in. Listen, there's a way to fix this. You can do one or two things. Number one, you could keep on pretending on the outside that everything's fine. Making sure people think that the lights are on where really on the inside nobody's home. The darkness and emptiness. Or number two, you could address, address the darkness on the inside. Step out of the shadows and into the light of Jesus Christ and who He is and walk in the light as He's in the light. Recommit your life to Jesus Christ this morning. I encourage you to do that. And let him set your life aglow once again. I want to close with this story. It's a story about Robert Louis Stevenson. who's a a well-known British author born in Edinburgh, Scotland. The story goes that when he was a boy, he would love to watch the lamplighters light the lamps every evening they didn't have electricity back then and so the lamplighters would go and they would bring the torch and they would light each one of the lamps and and uh and it, it was it was pretty cool and and they would see the whole city brighten up he loved to watch that he loved to watch the city go from darkness to light Well, one, one evening the story goes as the lamplighters were lighting all of the lamps individually he shouted out to his parents look look they're punching holes in the darkness isn't that great punching holes in the darkness that's what Jesus Christ did. He punched out a hole in the darkness when he came to this earth and shined his light. And I have a hunch it's exactly what the Holy Spirit wants to do in some of your lives this morning. Punch out a hole in the darkness, get rid of the darkness that's in your life, and bring in the light of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the light of the one, light of the world. He's the one in whose birth we celebrate. If you call in the name of Jesus, the angel said he will save his people from their sin. He loves to forgive. He loves to do that in your life. If you've not given your life to Jesus Christ, first and foremost, I encourage you to do that first. But but, but I think we've all here, we've all given our life to the Lord. But maybe, maybe this Christmas Eve, you've you've allowed some sin, some things in your life to just separate you from God. I would encourage you this morning, recommit your life to Him. Turn from those things that you'll never find fulfillment in it. It's nothing but darkness. It's going back into the darkness and turn to Jesus Christ. If you want to recommit your life to Jesus Christ, I want to give you that opportunity this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time this morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for punching the hole in the darkness and sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to be the light of the world, the light of our lives. And Lord, I, I, we pray that you'd help us all to walk in the light as you were in the light, Lord. Not allow the darkness of the world to interfere in our lives. And finally, Lord, Lord, we want to pray, if there's anyone here that has allowed the things in this world to get in their way, and they're not walking with you as they should, but they recognize it this morning, and they want to make a change, they want to recommit their life to you, I pray, Lord, you would give them the faith and the courage to do that this morning. While heads or their heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, is there anyone here this morning you want to recommit your life to Jesus Christ? Just raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning. God bless you. Anybody else you want to recommit your life afresh this morning to Jesus Christ? Just between you and Him. saying, Lord Jesus, I want to recommit my life to you today. Anybody else? Father, we thank you for the one that To have the boldness to, to raise her hand to recommit her life to you, Lord God. And I know in all of our hearts, each and every day, Lord, we want to recommit to you. We don't want to allow those things in the world to get in our way. Thank you for the reminder for us this day, Lord, that you've set your Son to be the light of this world. Help us to reflect His light to the world around us. Lord, with our family members we may see tonight or tomorrow morning that don't know you, We pray, Lord, that we could just share your love with them and they would see their need for you. Bless our our time of celebration, we pray. Bless our evening service tonight, Lord, we pray. Bring those that don't know you out, Lord, that they will hear the gospel and turn to you. We thank you for your love and grace. We thank you for our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.